let me just turn my phone off. Mr. Popular George has to turn his phone off because wait, where's he gone? I said fan. Fan. Oh, fan. It's really loud. Oh, we couldn't hear it, mate. Oh, no, no. I'll put it back on then. <laughs> <laughs> I do like uh, I do like your T-shirt, George. Oh yeah, retro, a little retro number. For a, a tournament that was 15 years before well, you were born. I couldn't get any merch from the tournament I was just at because the queues were 45 <laughs> minutes on the weekend. I've got to revert back to some merch from football in 1994 instead. See what you've got to do when you show up at, when you want to go and get merch at the open. You've just got to go on the first day. Steve is a seasoned professional at this. He was in there first thing Monday morning, straight to the merch tent, clear out all the shelves before everyone else does. Had my pick, got what I wanted. Just been to a few opens. I know what it's like. My inexperience showed, didn't it? It really did. Rookie mistakes. Oh, look, that that queue that you showed up to on Saturday, because I went in and they, they, the queue was going through the little windy thing. It felt like it waiting to go on a roller coaster at Warren Towers, but it was moving at least. And I got in straight away and then I went, oh, the shelves are all bare. Brilliant. Uh, but you got there and the queues were absolutely. I mean, how long were they saying? Like an hour? Well, I went again. Yeah, they said, I mean, th- when I first got there, a guy said it just it'd been it took 45 minutes. That's before you even got inside. Then you get inside. I imagine it's packed inside. So you're, and then you're trying to get get whatever's left. So that's another, what, potentially half an hour. So you're looking at way over an hour just to get basically your sloppy seconds, whatever was left in the shop. Let's not yeah. use phrases like sloppy seconds. Come on. Goodness well, me. We're better than that. I don't understand that. This happens every year. Like every year they run out of merch. Why do they just make more? Yeah, that's why. Why do they not have like a second ten with the same size at the other side like i don't understand there's surely there's an opportunity there because have you seen how big that tent is like where are they going to put it there's loads of space there was there was they they were running out of space so quickly that the the car park that we had to park in was three and a half miles from the media center oh don't don't bring that up So, George, tell me or tell us about your first. We've all obviously been to St. Andrews before. We've spoken many a times about our first experience of seeing the clubhouse and seeing the eight. The, the, you know, it's probably the, the, the two most famous holes in golf. Tell us about what it was like yeah, for I, you as a as you as you put it, a St. Andrews virgin. Yeah, well, they were the first two holes I saw. So I arrived after my amazing experience on the sleeper train tuesday wednesday what day was it it almost tuesday, night. tuesday night arrived into lucas at around 5 a.m 5 a.m freezing cold like, i'm heading straight to st andrews got there about six didn't have a i couldn't see any of the course yet it was all obviously just sectioned off for the tournament so i chatted to a guy i said look i'm media i'm a big deal i didn't say that but I'm media. I need to get in and get my accreditation, blah, blah, blah. So he's like, oh, what do you want? To, this is the best entrance you want to go in. So he sort of led me down a bit of a path and he was like, go in here and then you can go and then just follow it around. So I was like, cool. Went in and it was only the 17th and 18th that he'd basically taken me to. And bear in mind, it's like 6 a.m. There's no one there. All the stands are there. I've only ever seen St. Andrews on TV and on Tiger Woods PGA Tour 2005, which I used to play all the time. Like that's just my image of those two holes, and suddenly it's almost the same. It really is. Yeah, and suddenly I come out, and it was just like wow. Like I was just in awe. Like it, it didn't feel like a real place. Like it's like it's such just like a wonder. It should be added. It should be added to the wonders of the world. I think St Andrews, what a place. <laughs> like honestly, so that, that's that because you with the A team, with the hotel, with the clubhouse, and even with the stands up. I was like, and I thought it would. I thought I thought it would wear off like as the tournament went on. The more I saw it every day, and it just didn't like. Honestly, what a place! Like, and it just makes me want to play the course now. To be honest with you, I've been there several times, and I was I was looking through some photos uh, <coughs> last night. So this I'm talking about the day after the tournament finished, and there was just so I had so many photos of just the clubhouse and the grandstand looking up uh, 18, and I was thinking how many copies of that same photo do I actually need but for some reason there's just something about that 
shot that I just look every time I look at it I feel like I need to just whip my camera out and take it I mean I deleted them all obviously but uh it's a magical place um we'll come back to St Andrews later because uh Hannah Holden wrote something utterly ludicrous on nationalclubgolfer.com yesterday so we'll come back to that later but I want to talk about the actual golf (laughs) Hannah I'm going to make you talk now because mainly because I can see you shoveling an ice lolly into your gob (laughs) but uh you so let's talk about Rory McIlroy because obviously Cam Smith won it went on an incredible birdie run obviously very impressive and he did win it Hannah you were out there following Rory for most of his round if not all of his round on Sunday just tell us a little talk to us a little bit about what that was like as an experience first and also just a, a little bit about perhaps where Rory went wrong. Literally, his ball striking was so good. Like, because you could get so close. That drive he hit off two was literally the most ridiculous shot I've ever seen in my life. Like, he literally just stood up there and absolutely pummeled it. And he was like a good solid 30 yards past Victor. But like, I don't really feel like he did much wrong. Like, he did what he had to do in his position. Like, he put the ball in play. He hit every green. But because the pins were so tucked, because they were trying someone not rip the course up, like he just ended up with putts that were tricky. And he had so many putts that literally just ran right over the edge of the hole. It almost feels like it was just luck that was the difference. Because, I mean, if you think about it, I hired Scott, po- Scott Fawcett on the podcast a few weeks ago, and he was saying, like, if a pro hits eight foot putts inside on a flat surface like they're not missing one like the, they could hole 100 in a row but when you get out on the golf course like that same length putt they only hold 50 percent of the time because there's so many variables with like the surface how it runs if it hits a bobble like if it takes the break or not and I just feel like the difference the only difference was a putt didn't drop for Rory basically and if one had dropped sooner, it could have been a completely different story because the whole pressure would have been flipped. It would have been a lot further from Cam to come back for. And I think it's really hard. I don't think he actually did anything wrong, which is almost worse because you want to be able to say, oh, well, like, he's not good enough at this. Like, all the putts he hit were really good putts. Like, if you look at them, I was watching a video earlier and it literally shows a replay of every putt and, like, they were literally skimming over the edge of the hole, oh, and there's just not really much you can do about that. Steve, do you agree? Did uh, did Cam Smith win it? Did did Rory bottle it? Did was Rory just unlucky, as Hannah says? Uh, so he loses to one of the greatest back nines in Open history. That's that's the reality of it, isn't it? Five birdies in a row. Who does that? Who does that? His game plan was methodical. It was sensible. He put the ball in. He was never, ever in any particular trouble, Rory. I suppose the only thing you could say is once Smith does all of that stuff, then Rory has to change gears, doesn't he? And unfortunately, it's just a little bit too late. It's just a little bit too late. You know, I think there's a there's a quote where Rory says, I can't remember, where he says that he's looking up at a scoreboard. Was it 14 or 16? Um, where he sees that Smith's now one in front and he thinks, well, I've got to I've got to change it up here and. Where's he changing it up on 15, 16? That was really hard. 17, the hardest hole of the week. He hit an unbelievable iron in the 17 as well, didn't he? It was absolutely world-class. And that putt just stays out a little bit. I mean, you could say that you could say that his, um, his strategy on the final round was conservative, but then that's what got him there in the first place, you know, for three days. It was absolutely perfect strategy. And he lost, basically, to... I mean, I, where else can you compare it to in open history? Spieth at Birkdale? Probably probably the same. He lost, basically, to one of the great back nines in 150 opens. That's it. There was, um, there was that, that text from Tiger Woods to an American journalist doing the rounds, wasn't there, where Tiger was saying, well, basically, what I do here is I plan my strategy and I get to 19 under par and I win the tournament. And that's really what McElroy was doing, wasn't it? I mean, you think probably... If he wasn't going after it on 18, he gets to 19 under par. But it still wouldn't have been enough because Cam Smith got to 20. It's as simple as that. As you say, it was it was genuinely awe-inspiring from from the Australian. And he could have easily got to 19 under if he wanted to. I mean, he could have birdied that McElroy. He would have birdied 18 if he wanted to. He's trying to eat it, wasn't he? Yeah. And he's hit the drive, right? I mean, Hannah will know more about this than I do. I'm a 
10 handicap amateur I don't know but it, it felt to me it felt to me like dry he felt like he had to hit driver on 18 but it was too much club so he tried to hit this sort of cut um that just ended up a little bit short and then obviously he's he's got to chip it in um but I mean he could have made birdie at 18 without even trying if he'd absolutely had to he just had to chip in didn't he what was the, uh, I think, George, you went out for a little bit and Hannah, you, as I said, you were following him. What was the atmosphere like out there? I mean, the whole, it felt like the whole of St. Andrews, apart from one little group of guys dressed up in Aussie flags, were were rooting for him. And even Scotty Scheffler said, like, how can you not, like, everyone's out here cheering for him. How can you not root for Rory? Yeah, I mean, it was amazing. I mean, even, I think even we're supposed to be unbiased, you know, the sort of gatekeepers of the sport the all the media even they all wanted Rory like I can't I couldn't believe how how one side of the affair it was which is such such the player he is but yeah being out there it was it was it was amazing I mean I think someone summed it up on what was it the Saturday I was watching and Rory was in the second to last group then wasn't he and I mean it was absolutely packed to the rafters like everyone was trying to get a glimpse of Rory and then when Rory then did go pie there was like two people behind me that went, oh, who's who's in the group behind them then? Bear in mind, the group behind them was Cam Smith, the guy who went on to win. Like everyone was there for Rory. It just summed it up. Like, you know, if anyone's close to having the popularity of Tiger, we all know it is Rory. And that tournament just summed it up. I feel like, it's, and I feel like it's actually, he hasn't won. I think the popularity is probably growing even stronger now. Like, be interesting to see what it's like at the next Open. But I, I think this is only just, enriched his popularity and yeah i mean to the experience at first hand was pretty incredible like just every whole chance of rory and the later the day got on probably a little bit alcohol infused but it just seemed to get even stronger it was it was something to experience for sure i mean we're in danger here though kind of belittling the efforts of cameron young who shot 19 under five and a 31 on the bat nine i mean you know um I think he led, didn't he, after day one? He did lead after day He had a brilliant first round, yeah. So I was switching between the Cam group and Rory's group. And honestly, like, Cam Young's driving was so impressive. Like, the way he hit driver, it was like Rory-like in terms of strike and, like, flight. It was unbelievable. And to think, like, that's someone who's in their rookie season on tour and, like, look what he's done. Like, of the people I saw, like, he stood out as being like the most impressive in terms of what he was doing relative to like how short of a time he's like been on that stage. And Oakland as well, like he came second in the end. He could have, I mean, if it wasn't Cam Cam Smith, he wins it, doesn't he? Well, I know, like you say about Rory, could have won eighteen if he needed to, but sorry, George, just in the same sense that we were saying, well, Rory would have birdied eighteen if he if he needed birdie, but perhaps. I mean, that eagle from Young, and, yeah, I, and yeah. again, I don't want to belittle it, but is he holding that eagle putt on 18 if he if it's to win the Open? Like, he uh, he's looking at the scoreboard and going, Cam, like, Smith, like, he's watched Smith putt up to kicking range. He knows that he's won it. I mean, that would be a remarkable achievement. I mean, we almost had two rookie Open winners in a row, which would have been astonishing. Um, I, yeah, I, 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 Steve is right. Like, we, we shouldn't be, it, 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 we should make it clear, sorry, that we absolutely are not, downplaying the achievements of either of the Camerons it was just everyone was just so desperate for Rory to win and and like you say we we are meant to be uh, neutral of course we are but he's one of our own isn't he and we've we've followed his career since and and we've been through that eight years with him um Hannah I just you came into the back into the media center on uh Sunday night just after Rory's round had finished and you said to me, you sat down next to me and you looked at me and your like, eyes were like wide, wider than I think I've ever seen them. And you were just like, that was the coolest thing I've ever experienced in my life, even though he didn't win, of course. Just uh, tell us what it was like to to be out there following the group and just soaking it all up, really. It was kind of mad because the mood changed so much as the round progressed. Like you could see how excited people were at the start. And it was so interesting because obviously we've stood by the first tee for a lot of different people during the week. And like you expect the crowd to go mad for Tiger, but like Rory is basically there. Like it's people literally appreciate Rory in the same way, which is mental. Like people would never have thought that there'd be someone else who people would be like so invested in in that way. And you could like feel the excitement as you set off. 
But then in the middle of the round, it was almost this awkward, like, everyone was so nervous. Like, everyone wanted Rory to win so much. It almost felt like it was, like, I don't think it did, but it almost felt like it was, like, itching into him. Like, everyone wanted the putts to drop, and you could just, like, feel the tension. Especially as you could hear the roars from, like, Cam making birdie after birdie. Like, it was a bit depressing (laughs) because I wanted Rory to win. But, like, I was stood on the back of 11 behind the green, the par three when Cam hit that shot in and like it was actually terrifying the way he just like looked at that putt and just walked straight up and hit it in and it was like I just knew then like he's going on a charge like just the look in his eyes and the concentration it never looked like the putt was missing before he even like stood over the ball which I mean it is a remarkable feat but it also I don't know it kind of makes you think like did that course like make it a putting contest because of how much they had to like tuck the pins to almost protect the score and like if they just not done that and accepted that there was going to be low scoring would the result have been different I mean 20 under par is quite low but do you I mean this this question's for anyone do you really care about that I mean if someone goes out and shoots 40 under par does it really matter like it, it they're they, they're all playing you got 156 players or whatever all playing the same golf course does it really matter what they're going out and shooting yes yeah I mean you don't want you don't want it to be silly it's a major championship you know I don't know and and, and there's something boring about birdie every single hole but there is George is shaking his head here but I've, <laughs> as a young man I've watched I've watched enough of these like anodyne tournaments on other tours where everyone's hitting birdie and every shot is driver wedge and it's just boring golf it's boring Steve Steve, Steve was Cam's back nine boring no but the but there's still a test about the golf course. No one no one is shooting 40 under on that golf course. Now, you can argue about why that was the case, because they obviously put some of the pins in some very difficult positions. But it was dramatic while still being a test because you had to put the ball in the right spots or you had to do something amazing, which is what. I just think it really favoured a chaser because, like, if Rory had been aggressive to those pins, he could have ended up somewhere horrendous. Like, say, 11, if you'd gone over the back of that, like, you're dead. So he had to play conservatively, ended up with longer putts as a result of that, and then ended up not being able to catch someone who just thought, oh, well, it doesn't matter what I do today because if I fire a low score, like, it doesn't matter. Like, I'm probably not going to win and just went for it. I've got no problem with but with lots of birdies. It's exciting golf. I've got problems with the the score, the other score that Alex was talking about, where basically every hole is a birdie. I mean, that's point. It's pointless golf. I think it's weird because like in any other sport, like think of like running, like say someone beats like the best time for 100 meters, like it's celebrated. It's like a world record and people think it's amazing. But then in golf, there's this like weird stigma thing where like, yeah. oh, like we can't possibly have a low score in this tournament. And, like, yeah, I get it's a major, but also like people over the years have played around that course and like it should be celebrated that people can do it better, in my opinion. Like, why does why does it matter what they shoot? Like, well, 60, it should just be celebrated that they're, they're athletes and they're getting better and what they can do on that golf course. I mean, like 64 is quite low. 20 under is quite low. I mean, it tied the lowest scoring in the in the, in the Open ever, didn't it? Yeah. Uh, Stenson at 2016. Um, it broke Tiger Woods and Andrew's scoring record. So let's not suggest that this was kind of like, <laughs> you know, oh my God, they couldn't get up and down from anywhere. I mean, it was it for me, it was where it it was where it should be. It was a it was a test, but there were some opportunities to score. For people who did well now and I understand there's a big debate going on about St Andrews in various parts of the industry and you'll know more about this Hannah than I will about distance and what they had to do to the course to essentially make it relevant. Well at the moment they're just looking at doing with it with clubs aren't they so pros are going to have separate clubs to amateurs seems to be the way they're going no one's really talked much about it being a ball thing at the moment I think there's a lot of pros who are pushing for that but so far from what they are in here are looking at it seems more like amateurs and your club golfers are going to have one type of more forgiving and more distance orientated club and the pros are going to have something that's much more restricted in both those aspects isn't it just easier to restrict the ball i have no skin in the game here by the way i mean i, I don't mind either way but it seems a lot of hassle 
Yeah, and surely the brands are going to be so opposed to that, aren't they? Having basically essentially produced two lines of clubs. One for the yeah, but people, the golf ball market is way bigger than the golf club market. Like people make more money from golf balls. So for them, having a tour ball that no one can buy, there's suddenly no incentive. Like, you know, now if you buy like a Pro V1 or a TP5X or a Callaway Chrome Soft, that John Rahm, Rory McElroy, Cam Smith are using those golf balls and they're the best golf balls and therefore you want to buy them. If suddenly they've got a different golf ball that brands are having to develop just for tour players, there's no money in that market for them because no one's really going to buy that golf ball apart from occasionally to try it to see what it's like. And then it's going to feed into which golf balls other people buy. Like Titleist can't say you should be using this ball because it's the number one in golf on tour if it's a completely different golf ball. So actually for brands, I imagine they would much prefer it being a golf club change than a golf ball change because the ball makes them more money. I think that's a very comprehensive answer. Thank mm. you. So Hannah, I, I, I mentioned this earlier. I'm going to have to come back to it because I, I, I think it's only fair really that, that we hammer you for it. I very, very rarely disagree with you about anything. But one thing you said to me or said to us was, St Andrews should host the Open every single year. First of all, explain yourself. How good was this Open, though? It was brilliant. So good. It was the best Open ever. But if we were going back to St Andrews next year, and it was... I would think that was not, awesome. And it was not as good. Would you not Why think it was... Why would it not might... be as good? Well, what I if think, it was... I'm th- St Andrews is just my favourite place on earth, so I'm definitely biased. I also think it's nice because, like, I've played that golf course a lot. So it almost makes you appreciate the golf more and like understand the tournament more compared to somewhere else. So, I mean, I appreciate that view is definitely biased towards my experience, but I just think there's no better place in the world. So I'd quite happily go back there every year. So your comparison to us was Augusta. So everyone knows the names of all the holes at Augusta. Everyone knows the golf course inside out and the same as St. Andrews. And that's what you want for the Open. Yeah, I just think it creates something different. Like, you know the road hole is like a hard bunker and you know what's happened there in the past. Like, I don't necessarily associate that with other courses. Maybe if I got to know them better, I might, but it's not really the same. I think there's almost so much anticipation with like the Masters because you know what you're getting and you know what might happen and there's so much intrigue around the, the fact you know the course so well and the challenges it's going to present. And I think like that idea for the Open is really exciting. I think I would argue the other way. I think that actually, um, I feel like I would probably take it there less. I think maybe eight, nine, ten years feels about right. What do you guys think, Steve, George? Uh, I would be in that camp. There's great variety in British and Irish Lynx golf. I like the fact that Port Rush was an amazing experience. It was absolutely fantastic golf course. Um, I love Royal St George's last year, and I'm seeing a lot of these golf courses myself for the first time. Um there is I like the fact that it, there are different tests um, for the Open and it's not just the same thing every every single year. I understand what Anna's saying about uh, Augusta. Um, I think Augusta and St Andrews are like entirely different golf courses. Um, and I think St Andrews, if it was played every year, would become vulnerable without some without some real trickery, which would devalue the golf course for me I, I i i'm looking forward to hoylake next year i really like hoylake and it's a you know and it's not everyone's cup of tea i, I understand that as regards an open but it's a different test and it'll ask different questions of different players what i don't the one of the things that i don't like about the masters particularly is it rewards a certain type of player so you often see leaderboards with the same kind of player on there every year because you know, they understand that golf course better or they've learned how to play it better or it just suits their eye. And what I like about about the Open is that variety. And there are there are courses that will suit other players and the chances for other people to shine. And and a, an Open Championship, a national Open should get about for me. It should get around the whole of Britain and Ireland. I was delighted to see Port Rush come onto the rotor and it would be great to go back there again in 2025. 25, yeah. Gonna say so. Yeah, I've long-winded that, but spread it around for me. Now I think that last point sort of hit hit the nail on the head. Like I look at it, it's our national open. It's like a celebration of what we have to offer and the best courses we have to offer and a showcase of 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 all the best courses. And I think if you were to just limit that to one course, you really lose that. And second second point is that 
I think Dan Murphy said it in in the piece. It's like it's like reacquainting with an old friend, isn't it? And I think it's great like that. Like like you said, I, I love Hoy Lake, and I'm only now that the fact that it's next year, it's reminded me how much I do love Hoy Lake, which would have been lost if it's just one place, isn't it? It's like oh, that's great. It hasn't been there since 2014. I'm really ex- excited now to go back there. Um, and and every venue has that, doesn't it? Because it is shared around like the way it is. So, Rory's going to mind going back there, is he? He's not, no. Uh, and it's such a great golf course. I mean, that that first hole is. Um, I mean, that people talk about the first hole, don't they? But it's such a weird hole to to start and open with. Got that new par three there. That's going to be really, really exciting. And, you know, incredibly tough stretches of the golf course. I I, I played Hoylake for the first time last year, and I'd, I'd been to the Open in 2014. I couldn't wait to get my clubs on it. And it I just I just think that golf course is so good. Um, so looking. Isn't the first hole the third hole in the Open? I think it is. Yeah, right, yeah. We, we, you, you're quite right. We play it as the first hole, don't we? Uh, so thanks for picking me up on that. Uh, but it's, it, as an opening hole for the for the punters, it's such a cool one, in my opinion. When we, we were at uni, we always used to pray that we got Liverpool in the league because you got to get two or three rounds at Hoylet. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. My favourite experience ever at an open is that spectacular grandstand around the 18th at Hoy Lake. It's just something to behold because obviously you can't do it at St Andrews because of the space. So they've obviously got that grandstand down the side of the first and they've got that grandstand poked behind the 18th green and then obviously everyone's piling down um the road but at Hoy Lake so it's the 16th isn't it but it's the 18th in the open. And they just have that grandstand that wrap because they I think it's the range, isn't it? Basically, it's sat on. So they've got they can manage they can wrap that spectacular grandstand all the way around it. It almost runs halfway down the fairway, and it's just one of the most awesome things you could ever see at a golf tournament. I mean, I remember just showing up there in fourteen and just I, I just went and sat in it for about an hour because I just couldn't believe I was just watching players come up here. I couldn't believe how cool it was. Um, and, it, and, and and there are other courses that do that as well on the road to like, um, obviously, uh, St. George's had a pretty cool grandstand around 18, didn't it? We were sat in that to watch Morikawa last year. I'm I'm firmly on the camp of getting that, getting, the, getting it around the country, seeing golf courses. I think it's just unbelievable. And it looks like we're not going back to, sorry, Hannah, we're not going back to St. Andrews until 2030 by the looks of it. We were all wondering when we were going to go back. Uh, Tiger Woods and John Rahm basically confirmed we've, we've got Hoylake next year Troon the year after and Port Rush in 25 and then we're, so, we're are we suspecting or expecting um we expect to go back to Troon in 20 uh, not Troon uh Lytham in 26 to celebrate 100 years since the first Lytham open I think we're all kind of expecting that aren't we so then it's just 27 28 and 29 and then back to St Andrews on the on the five-year rotor they had going for there I'll just make it more special though like even 2030 it's just going to be a long way away, though, isn't it? I mean, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to be almost fifty by the time that comes out. I mean, forty yet. Good, but it just have given how special this one was to then wait ten years. It's just going to make that one like, oh, everyone's just going to be so excited for it. It's going to be. Alex and Steve might have retired by then. You and me will be in charge. <laughs> That's a terrifying. We'll be there thought. as punters. Yeah. Steve and I will be there as grey-haired punters. Like, honestly, if you're that mournful about St Andrews, go to the Dunhill. It's there every it's there every year. There you go. Um let's talk about Tiger because we we did it a bit there, didn't we? And that was quite emotional on Friday. You and I were among yeah, the there, yeah. Alex. It was actually yeah, teared up a little bit. It was yeah, quite yeah. emotional, wasn't it? It was we uh so I think just for the listeners, Steve and I were stood right next to the Swilcombe Bridge. We talked about it a little bit before, didn't we? And we were we were sort of thinking, is he going to stop? And like that 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 was the reason why everyone was there. Is he going to stop on the bridge, put his foot up on the little wall, and and do the salute that we've seen all the legends do down the years at their um in their final St Andrews Opens or their final Opens? And he didn't. He didn't even break stride. I mean, even even Matt Fitzpatrick and and Max Homer sort of hung back because they were expecting him to do it. And I saw I saw Matt Fitzpatrick have a little joke with with Max thinking he was I mean he was probably saying like oh I thought he was going to stop um as we all did but he didn't break stride cap was off but then he came and then he comes into the interview room and says probably won't be back in 2030 doesn't play recreational golf does he I mean I I I think it it's very very hard to see him challenging again in any significant tournament um it, when his back was fused I wrote about this when his back was 
fused and he came back in 2019, um, you could see that the swing was still there and you could see that the power was still there. Um, and, you know, once the ring rust got out of the way, I felt like, especially when he won the Tour Championship, I felt, you know, you are going to win another major again. And then obviously he won the Masters. I mean, he can't walk 18 holes, really, not with not. In, not without significant pain and Tiger's used to pain right so you know he's he's used to digging deep and playing with um with in 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 significant discomfort so this shouldn't be any different to him but I just don't see how he does 72 holes maybe the maybe he gets a load of um treatment over the winter maybe there is some improvement in that leg that we haven't seen I mean he came back very quickly from what was an astonishingly bad injury I mean he almost lost his leg didn't he and so maybe there's some improvement there I'd be very surprised if he played before March next year. I mean, I, I, but if the situation stays as it is and he essentially can't put any schedule together and he's basically playing the four majors because for the time being he's exempt in all four. I mean, how is he? It was such an incredible thing to make the cut in the Masters, particularly in the Masters, given how killy that course is and how much strain that must have put on his body. But can you honestly see him like winning one of these tournaments again? The thing I was surprised by was like how well he was actually hitting the golf ball, like especially with driver. Like it seems more like it's his putting and stuff like that that's actually the issue. Like I don't know if you've seen like he'd he'd gone to a slightly longer putter so he didn't have to bend over as much when he was like practicing and putting. I mean that doesn't sound like a big change, but essentially changing your put putting setup is like the biggest impact on how the ball will like roll like if you had an identical stroke but just changed like the setup on the ball position slightly it completely changed your data so like for me it's almost like it, it it seems like he just can't quite get comfortable putting yet whether that's like a physical thing in the right position which you'd think that would be the easiest out of the lot so I almost feel like if he has enough time to work on that like we've got a massive time off until the next major like, I'm not saying he's necessarily going to win them, but I definitely think he's going to come back playing better than we've seen this year because, I mean, he literally had no time to turn around between that injury and playing. I hope so, but if you look at what he's done in the two majors that he made the cut, he's faded badly on the weekend. And then here, he didn't even get there on a course that was as benign as it could possibly be over the first couple of days for him. Um and and he's not, you know, he's not the kind of guy that's just going to turn up for the sake of it, I don't think, is he? He's not going to turn up, even if he is exempt, that opens just for turning up. That's not his style. So, I mean, I don't think we'll ever see him back at St Andrews, apart from they're giving him honorary membership. As he said in his press conference afterwards, maybe he'll go with Charlie, because Charlie will tell him that he wants to go. That that was the inference. The inference yeah. is not. Yeah. But but you know, what's his caddy in twenty thirty for Charlie? What's his caddy for Charlie twenty thirty? Let let's stay off the pressure. It's just a boy. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, let let look. I I'd be delighted to be wrong. I I really would. But um, I I just don't see how he's a force anymore, unless you can play more than four tournaments a year. I know he played a lot of golf before and at Ballybunion and places like that. But was he walking around there? I bet he wasn't. Um, let's see what next spring brings. He's, as, as Hannah says, there is a lot of time to work on that leg, and let's see what happens. But it, but it looked to me, he, I, I, I wrote, he looks a shadow of how he used to be. Yeah, I completely agree. It was, um, it was, it was very emotional for all of us. I think we've obviously Tiger has been a part of our lives for so long. He's been a part of my life since I was. 14 or 15 which is ludicrous there's so much of my life that I've just worshipped this man who just hits a golf ball around the field it's absolutely ludicrous so yeah uh, that Friday was very emotional when he was lifting his hat I mean I think we'll see him back at Hoylake next year there's no doubt about that but for for him to be at St Andrews the home of golf raising his cap like there was a bit of a tear in the eye I was I was struggling for a little bit after that I was I had to go sort of go take myself off and have a moment I think um and then just seeing him you know wave you could you could see the tears in his eyes as he as he saluted the 18th grandstand it was it was it was really it was it was actually a really cool moment um and it's something that I will look back on with tremendous fondness 
um, and just be happy that I got to witness the the greatest that ever lived. Talking of live, do you like that little segue? I didn't like that. Let, sorry, mate. Tiger's definitely not going to live, so let's get off that straight away. It's been in the news, and we have we can't really ignore it. So there's there's just been several little bits, and I just kind of want to touch on all of them before. Let, we'll we'll get to Henrik Stenson at the end because obviously he's the the big story of the last few days. Let, let's start with Paul Casey because it it's actually quite funny, isn't it? Really, because they they're, they're saying that they want to go to live golf because they want to play less golf, and now Paul Casey's coming out and saying, "Well, do you know what we're going to do to get around this world rankings problem that we've got? We're all going to go and play on the Asian tour." So, George, just talk us through that. It just, uh, he came into that press conference, and you we listened to that, and you just thought that the whole media center at the Open just went, "Well, hang on a second. Yeah, but you've also got to think they don't actually want to play less golf. They just that's just one of their many excuses. Like they have this list, don't they? That they just seems to get regurgitated around all the live players. Like you know all the different reasons why they join live, except for the obvious, which is the money. Like they they say that, but I don't actually think it. You know, it's a genuine reason, is it? But yeah, at the same time, it is quite funny that now it looks like they're going to have to go. A, they're going to what is it? They're going to expand live itself next season into what 14 events or whatever it is then chuck on maybe six or seven Asian tour events they're going to have to pay for world ranking points you're looking it's now you're looking at suddenly over 20 events for the live golfers uh, they will they will all need they, they will need as casey said they will need he used the phrase on mass but they will that it needs plenty of the live players to go and play these asian tour events otherwise the strength of fields just won't be worth it yeah. And they're going to have to get on with it quite soon because did you see that chart someone had made that like predicted what their world rankings was going to be like? Yeah. I don't know when it was, some point next season. Like, everyone I think it was, was the end of this year, it. wasn't it? It was the end of this Every- year. And, like, all, all of them will be outside the top 15. Yeah. So, you know, they need to start getting across well, the plan in the soon. Start, if they only start going to Asian Tour next year, their world rankings have already dropped massively. Yeah, Frank Field is going to be irrelevant, right? So then it's not even going to matter too much if they play. There's some assumptions being made though here, isn't there? That, um, I mean, for example, World Golf Championship events are still going to be able to play in them, aren't they? Because they're based on OWGR, not PGA Tour, DP World Tour. So you suspect that they'll all turn up on them. There's a couple of them, isn't there, before November? So if they play all right, their strength of field will stay on there. The international series that the Asian Tour are putting on is worth quite a lot of money in compared to the Asian Tour anyway. So you suggest that there'd be decent reasons for playing on some of those anyway. And some others who are not live golfers may want to play in, say, for example, the Saudi International because it's worth, what, $5 million or whatever, whatever it's worth to the, to, it, it, it's a it's a big money event. So there are, there are some there are some um, advantages, I think, to having the Asian Tour schedule avail- available to them if they play international series events. I'm not suggesting that they're going to play rank and file. And then if for those live players that are exempt, um, I, ca- I can't see the RNA or the USGA changing their exemptions to ban live players who are exempt. That's, that's going to be very, very tricky. Then for those top players, I think they might. I, look, I'm not an expert on world rankings, and people will probably be tearing me apart here. But I think if if they perform well in those events, they might be okay. Where I think the the players who are going to be really affected by live in terms of world ranking, if they don't get a WGR status, is people like Poulter and Westwood that don't necessarily have long term long term exemptions. Um, I think Poulter was talking about that, wasn't he? I think he was saying that he, the, the need to have a strong week, essentially, to stay in. They're the ones that are going to be really, really affected. But we're going to come on to this, aren't we? If the expected people go to live that people are speculating about, then the the discussion around live has to change. I think in terms of I'm not talking about the human rights issue here. I'm not talking about the banning from the PGA uh, or, or the suspensions or the fines from the DP World Tour. If the people who are talking about going to live go to live, that changes the narrative of live entirely. Like how many top 50 players have to go there before people start going, oh, hang on, there's quite a lot of these people going over there. OK, so I, th- I think it is OK to to name the players because it's sort of open speculation, particularly on social media. And Tommy Fleetwood is one, although apparently that's come out and been 
dismissed by the player himself. Hideki Matsuyama would be a huge coup for the for Liv because he is a good player in his prime, Masters champion, open champion, brand new open champion, Cameron Smith. Didn't deny it. I mean, he's come out and said, like, PGA Tour have asked him when he's next going to play, and he's come out and said, I'll be at the FedEx Cup playoffs. So, but in his in his press conference at the Open, he just said, he, he gave that classic, uh, plenty of players have done this, haven't they, where he said, my team deals with that. I mean, that's 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 as good as saying I'm going to live, isn't it? But obviously, it was, it was an awful response. I appreciate the question. I appreciate it was a tricky question. But are we are we really being led to believe that his team have the final say on which professional tour he plays on? Rubbish. Absolutely. Rubbish. I don't understand why he wouldn't. Right, think about it. If he goes to live, he's going to get absolutely bashed anyway. So why would you? Even if you are thinking about it, why would you not just lie and say? Oh no, I'm 100% not going to live. Like, if he then then goes to live, it's, the white lie is not going to be the issue, is it? The fact that he's gone to live is going to be the issue. So after he just won the most historic major probably ever, why would he say like? Admittedly, it was they, he probably should have been asked it, but of course he was going to get asked it. You know, of course he should have been asked it. It's the biggest new. Like, at what point do we go? Oh, okay. When can we ask it? We like. Well, why would he say? We, we are ju- like the journalist. That, the journalist that asked it. Is, is just that. He's a journalist. He's got to get the big news story. And that's exactly what he did. The big news. It was, I, I think it's okay to name him. It was Phil Casey from the Press Association. And Phil Casey has got, his boss is going, ask him about Liv. And even if, even if Phil is going, I don't want to ask him about Liv because it's the Open and I want to concentrate on that. His boss doesn't give two hoots about the fact that it's the open his boss is there to sell news and the news is 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 cameron smith going to live and he did he and as steve said he he was absolutely it was a horrible horrible answer and he he could have yeah he could have just gone no and i don't want to talk about that right now i've just won the open but to say my team deals with that he is basically saying i'm going he's then gone on and said i'm playing in the fedex cup uh playoffs whenever it is next month and then probably have the, the off-season out fishing and then he'll be on, on live for next year. I mean, Greg Norman, tw- the, the Greg Norman tweet where he was basically, it was almost over-egging the congratulations, wasn't it? It was, it was just, I mean, it, it all just adds up that Cameron Smith is going to be a live player next year, which to me is a, is a huge surprise because when he was, you know, he's just won the players, which was the, is the biggest purse in PGA Tour history, if I recall. And someone said, what the hell are you going to spend so much money on? And And he was just like, I don't know. Like I'm pretty well set for the rest of my life. Like I'm just going to buy some more fishing oh, and gear. Then I mean, see the photo of him boarding the plane yesterday. He's basically in the economy. Like the guy just got the, <laughs> trying, over- to the over- uh, trying to get the claret jug in the <laughs> overhead. Pushing the claret jug into the overhead container. Like that's not a man who's suddenly like all about the money, is he? He seems quite you know humble, down to earth. He just wants to fish, and now he's going to ditch all. He could ditch all that for for the big bucks. It's like. But, they got the Clara jug out on the fly and asked the flight attendant <laughs> to put his drink in it. Yeah, exactly. Fill it with beer. But How I mean, many beers did it fill up? Two, two pints, is it? Say two. two. Which uh, who was it before the tournament said? Oh, it's, it's so, so, such disrespectful if you drink out the Clara jug. And then Cam Smith straight away is like, oh, I can't wait to see how many beers this fits in. Don't care about that. You've just, you've just won that. You've just won that trophy in the most epic fashion possible. You can put whatever you want in it, mate. How many Guinness do you think Darren Clark had in that thing? Exactly. I mean, it is it is you it is a it is a claret jug. It's literally it's it, it's entire is <laughs> to have liquid in it. I love how that's our trophy, is it? Like you just said, such do a remember, do you remember Ian Porter eating Cheerios out of the Ryder Cup? That was good. Um, all right, let's get let's get to the the big live story because the word circulating for many weeks now is that Henrik Stenson was going to go. So. Let's start from the beginning. Henrik Stenson was going to join Liv. Phil Mickelson comes out and says all that stuff that he said about Saudi and the scary mother effers and all that stuff. Henrik Stenson, if reports are be, to be believed, um, and they're from very reliable sources, Henrik Stenson then got the ick and said, oh, uh, Liv is basically you know, dead and buried. Like Phil Mickelson has, has, has killed it, essentially. So he took the Ryder Cup captaincy and now... Uh, so Martin Hardenberger, who's a very well-connected Swedish journalist, is has written and saying that Stenson is now going to take it and he's going to give up the Ryder Cup captaincy or be booted out of the Ryder Cup captaincy, however you want to look at it. I mean, that is as big as stories go. That that's up there, isn't it? I think that 
I can't I can't even get my head around it. I can't get my head around why you would give up that prestige, but then I'm not the one being offered 50, 60, 70 million quid or dollars. Has it actually been confirmed that he will be stripped of that? Because like currently, what is the restrictions? Like as long as people keep their DP World Tour membership, can they still play at Ryder Cup? Like well, this, is, this is the conversation that Stenson is probably having with Ryder Cup Team Europe now, isn't it? And the DP World Tour or the European Tour. It's a disaster if it happens. It's an absolute disaster. It makes him look bad. It makes the DP World Tour look bad because you because you have to say, well, what diligence did you did? I'm sure they did do their diligence, um, you know, to make sure that this did happen because it was, as you say, it was speculated quite strongly before he took the captaincy. So I mean, like. I mean, he's he's absolutely embedded in the in the DP World Tour setup with the Scandinavian mixed with Annika Sorenstam. So I mean, it's like it is it is horrible, horrible if it happens for everyone. I don't think anyone comes out of it looking great. Um, I mean, in terms of the future of the Ryder Cup, I mean, I'd be more concerned about the players who are potentially going to live than I than I would about the captain. Um, because there are other candidates there. I mean, I, I think we can talk about the two that have been speculated on. Luke Donald only just missed out if reports are to be believed. And, and Thomas Bjorn was quite a successful captain, wasn't he, in Paris in 2018. So I'm less worried about the captaincy at this stage because it's only July. Tournaments are 14, 15 months away than I am about the potential of players who might go over to live. And then if they if they can't play in the Ryder Cup, Europe's team and particular is looking is looking very wounded um it's a, it's a merit i mean it's such a key to the strength of united states golf at the moment that we can talk about some of the players that have already gone to live like dj and you just look at their team and you just think well they could just put this person in or they can just put that person in there's such strength and depth in the u.s side but if this happens and it's still an if um it, it just looks awful all around it just looks really bad all the way around I mean, I, I think we can just completely dispel this growing the game notion. I mean, I, I, we, we dispelled it already. It's, it's obviously a nonsense. But I mean, you, when you're when you're going after Henrik Stenson, you're not going after Henrik Stenson because you want him as a player and the draw that he brings to you. It, it, this is a disruption, isn't it? This is a disruptor move from Greg Norman and the, and the Live Tour it's a disruptor for the Ryder Cup. They know they know exactly what they're doing by getting the Ryder Cup captain. They don't want 2016 Open champion Henrik Stenson. They want Ryder Cup captain Henrik Stenson because they know the aggravation it will cause at the other end. It's going to be it is going to kick off if that happens. Isn't it? I mean, but how did, what, what do you think? Like whoever's whoever then could be if Donald or Bjorn, what are they really going to think? They, like, they have to give it to someone off, who's like, done it. Not, they have to give it to someone who's done it once already because otherwise it just feels like you get like second best pick, do you know what I mean? I think Donald would be above that. He would answer the continent's call. Um he's and 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 Bjorn's already a vice captain in this Ryder Cup setup under Stenson. So I mean if I was Bjorn, I mean the thing that I we were talking about this yesterday, the, the thing I'd be worried about more than ever is, you know, there's been a lot of talk about Thomas Bjorn in two thousand and three. St George's and the bunker I don't even remember that particularly what I remember Thomas Bjorn for is being you know Paris in 2018 and leading a side that had really no right to win and winning now there's a lot of reasons for that course set up but he, he obviously had a lot to do with that and that for me is his current legacy and maybe I'm being a bit defeatist but I, I think Europe are in a transition currently and even with the players who've gone to live from the United States side, I think it would be extremely difficult um, for Europe to win in Rome next year. So why would you do it? Exactly. Yeah. Do you think do you think the Ryder Cup are currently trying to work out how to keep Stenson? Do you think that could be another possibility? I mean, we were discussing this the other day. How much money does being the Ryder Cup captain actually make you? So if 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 Liv Golf were offering him, say for the sake of argument, fifty million dollars, 
he's probably not going to make, I mean, he's going to make a lot of money out of being the Ryder Cup captain plus the prestige, but he's not going to, I mean, we're, let's not forget, we're talking about a player who's been, had his bank account stripped on at least two occasions in the past from being involved in those Ponzi schemes and things. You can go and read about it on the internet. It's all available. So he, is he looking at it and going, I've had so many money problems in the past, 50 million shoved straight into my bank account. Yes, please. I mean, he's not, I mean, he's, he's absolutely fine for money at the moment, isn't he? He doesn't need the money. And it's a hell of a move to just dismiss that, the prestige that being the Ryder Cup captain and the money as well. You know, he's, he's going to make a few quid from being the Ryder Cup captain, but he's just not going to make 50 million. I think it's going to be more than 50 million as well. To lure in, like you say, what he stands for as the Ryder Cup captain, it's going to be a lot more than that. I find it astonishing. Let's just, just, because Hannah touched on it then, I just want to ask you guys what you think about the Ryder Cup. Now, I am firmly of the belief that I I put the Ryder Cup in the same position as the majors. Don't care what tour you're playing on. I just want the best players playing. And I and and for the Ryder Cup, and I've I've always said that I I don't particularly like. And before Liv came along, I didn't particularly like the way that the um, European qualification is that you have to play X amount on the European, or you have to be a European tour member. You have to play X amount of tournaments on the European circuit. There's a European points list. For me. Back then and now, whether you play for Liv or whoever, it should just be the 12 best European players against the 12 best American players, regardless. Yeah, but there's more Americans going to Liv, so uh, maybe we should just uh, <laughs> maybe just keep use that tomorrow. to our advantage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but In principle, though, I do agree with what you're saying. Like, you don't want it to become a joke to the point where, like, if everyone's going to Liv, who's actually going to play in the Ryder Cup? Like. It, it's meant to be a celebration of the sport, isn't it? And it should be the best people playing. How do you measure that? Well, I guess OWGR is probably the best way of doing it. I've always just thought, right, it should just be a straight pick for the captain. Just pick, 12 picks? Tw- pick 12 whoever you want. Completely your choice. That's quite interesting. Um, right. that's, what I, that's how I think it should be done. On the tee from Woburn, George <laughs> Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> then what happens then is you risk having personal vendettas so I don't, I don't know who gets on with who and who doesn't get on with who on on the at tour level, but you could have a situation where ex captain is not picking the best European player because he doesn't like him. But then it just adds to the drama, doesn't it? It adds to the the importance of the captain. Just everything. I just think it it'd be really cool if they did it that way. You could you could even have a lib style draft to do it. Goodness me. So we've so we've actually gone from. It should just be the 12 best players from each continent versus each <laughs> other. And then, and then and now we've gone to just let the captain pick all 12 players. Yeah. I'm not sure how I feel about that idea. I might have to come back to you on next week's pod. Just throwing it out there. I think we're probably going to hear about Stenson this week. I mean, this pod, this is we're recording this Tuesday morning. It's going to be out Tuesday afternoon. Perhaps the Stenson thing will happen before we've even got round to editing and publishing. But I think that it... It's a monumental move in golf. We are it, we're we're basically setting up for one of the biggest news stories of certainly of recent times. And really, it's uh, it's just all it's all showing golf in a bad. I think we can all agree that actually golf is just being showed in a bad light here because it's just showing that money talks, and it's a huge shame. That's my Springer's final thought for you. All right, guys, appreciate you joining me. And uh, if you're on social media and you're listening to this and you like what we say you can follow us all on social media just search for our names or national club golfer on your preferred platform and we'll be back next week for george claiming more ridiculous things wow